Well, good morning, everyone. I hope that you're having a great worship so far. My name is Joel Pete. I'm the minister of the Chippewa Valley Church. If you're friends, family, neighbors, relatives uh, joining us online, appreciate you joining us. I really hope that you get a blessing out of this time of worship. You know, um, we are continuing uh, our sermon series on finding strength in Christ. And today we're going to be talking about how Jesus was tested by fiery ordeals. That's the title of our message, Tested by Fiery Ordeals. I'm not going to lie, uh, setting up this uh, camera to try to do this recording has been a bit of a fiery ordeal in my own life. Hopefully I'm passing the test by the grace of God. Amen. You know, um, one of the ways we see God throughout history help his people find strength in him is to allow trials in their lives. I would say our world is going through a trial. This trial has affected us all to varying degrees. At best, it's an inconvenience, but at worst, there's been great suffering and pain and hardship uh, through loss of life or relatives, um, loss, loss of life. But how as a people of the Christian faith should we process this trial? You know, I, read, I want to read a few verses about trials, and then we're going to get into studying about Jesus when he was tested by his trials in the wilderness. We're going to draw some principles and hopefully some applications that we can help us uh, get through this trial. Not just get through it, but allow our faith to be refined by this, this trial. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 4 the book of Peter really was written to uh, disciples in the first century who are going through horrible trials. He's writing them to encourage their faith. Chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And lastly, famous verse from the book of James. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. And a lot of us are feeling the trial of the separation from one another, not being able to meet together. You know, in the first century, the Christians were dispersed and scattered all over the world. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have uh, Zoom meetings uh, to connect. But they had letters to one another. Here's what James wrote to those disciples in the first century. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking in nothing. How should we process, how does the scriptures process trials in our life? These fiery ordeals, this is the thesis for our message today. These fiery ordeals test our faith, purify our hearts, and teach us to find strength and joy in Christ. We're going to look at how Jesus was tested in the wilderness. We're going to compare that a little bit with how the Israelites were tested in their journey through the wilderness, how they responded, and how we each can respond to our current test. Amen? Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and the Spirit came upon him, and uh, the voice from heaven this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We have a mountaintop experience for Jesus. But then right afterwards, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Now this word tempted, we often think of as resisting a sinful temptation, but it's also the same word for tested, tested. And uh, uh, you would think full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would just lead Jesus on into glory, full of joy and peace and patience, all those fruits of the Spirit that we read about. The first thing the Spirit did with Jesus is he led him into the wilderness to be tested. Now, this really challenges our worldview of trials and suffering and struggles. The Spirit led Jesus into a trial, into a struggle. It challenges our thinking about how we process and frame struggles. I want to go refer back to one of the verses we read earlier, and there should be a picture of gold on your screen. You know, um, we love the idea of pure gold. It says our faith being more precious than pure gold, and this results in praise and glory and honor uh, on, the, on the day of Christ. So we like this idea, but we may not like the process of the gold becoming pure. And this is the process of refining gold, where the gold is put in a crucible at extremely high temperatures. And the same verse talks about these trials and that the gold is tested by fire or purified by fire or refined by fire. Or actually, the purity is produced through the fire. This is the process that Peter is talking about, saying that the struggles that the Christians are going through are not outside of God's control, but they're actually allowed by God in order to purify their faith, heart, character, and reliance on God. This is what we see with Jesus. I want to talk a little bit about how we frame, how the culture frames trials, but then how the Bible frames trials. There's a, a slide on your screen where the cultural, any kind of suffering or trials or hardship, they're, they're miserable, right? Many of us find ourselves a little tested by how much time we're spending with our blessed families. Um, it's it's a trial's miserable until it's over. Then we can go back to um, 
being free from trials. We're surprised by a trial or pain. Uh, we, we conclude something is wrong. Something is wrong. I'm being cursed. I've done something wrong. What have I done to deserve this? We tend to avoid, of course, trials and struggles. Um, and there's a question we often ask in the middle of it. Where is God? Where is God in this trial? And it can result in bitterness or a hardening of our hearts. Um, we can end up missing God's grace because of our hardened heart. And oftentimes pain, suffering, trials can shipwreck our faith. It's been said that one of the greatest challenges to faith is suffering. The scriptures frame trials in a different way. Scriptures frame, instead of misery, it's joy. Consider it all joy from the book of James. I don't know about James, how he thought of joy, but that's not usually how I think of all joy is lots of trials. It should be something that we expect. Peter says, don't be surprised. Um, actually, it's, it's referred to as a blessing. It's not, it's not that something is wrong. Something's actually right. The Spirit didn't make a mistake leading Jesus into the wilderness. Trials are not something we should avoid, but we can actually lean into. Where's God? It's the wrong question. More, how do we rely on God in a deeper way? The book of Corinthians and the Apostle Paul shares his heart about how his sufferings helped him rely on God. And also, instead of a hardening of heart through bitterness, the God of all comfort can come and we can learn true comfort from receiving comfort from God. And our hearts can actually soften and therefore we don't miss the grace of God. We can multiply the grace of God, meaning that the comfort with we ourselves have received, we pass on to others. And our faith isn't shipwrecked, it's actually matured. How are we framing this trial? How are we processing? How are we thinking about it? I think it's so important that we frame it biblically and not according to the culture. Okay, so with that, uh, let's go on into Jesus' testing in the wilderness by Satan, though led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Let's read in Luke chapter 4. Let's pick it up in verse 2. One more quote before we get into that. Helen Keller. Helen Keller said, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. The experience of the world even outside of the scriptures, can attest to the purpose of trials. Luke chapter 4, verse 2. But Jesus says, He ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. Forty days without eating, he became hungry. Maybe one of the most um, under-represented uh, emotions in the scriptures. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus is near death, near starvation. Is it, would it be wrong for Jesus to eat some bread? Of course not. The test here, though, was would he act on his own power and timing to meet his physical needs, or would he wait for the Father to provide 
call this the comfort test. The comfort test. You know, um, this reference to Deuteronomy chapter 8 draws the mind of the, of the Jew back to the testing of the Israelites in the wilderness. And so many of these tests we see uh, reflected in the testing of the Israelites in the wilderness. We don't have time to get into all that in this message, but it'd be a really great study of how God tested the Israelites in the wilderness. But in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, talks about man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is how Jesus responds. Deuteronomy chapter 8, 1 through 10 is the Old Testament reference to uh, where Jesus gets this from. Um, John chapter 4, verse 32, Jesus says, I have found I have food that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus is, is pointing to his strength, this true source of comfort, his true source of life isn't found in physical needs being met. But there's a spiritual word, spiritual work, that as he does those things in accordance with the Father's timing and will, that there's a life that rises up within him um, and uh, fulfills him. Life, Jesus teaches that life is not found in the comforts of the world, but in devouring God's word, doing God's will, depending on his leading, uh, following God, and remaining in step with the Holy Spirit. Jesus conquered the comforts of the flesh through surrendering to the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the work of God, and the timing of God. And we're going to kind of uh, compare this in a, in a little table here. The test of comfort, the Israelites failed this test, found themselves grumbling, complaining, uh, repeatedly, never content, never learning to be content through this test of comfort. Jesus says God is the true source of life. In today's trials, we believe this trial purifies us, our, our ability to be content in any and every situation. The Apostle Paul says, I've, I've learned the secret, Philippians 4, 13, of being content in any and every situation, whether well supplied, um, with a lot or, or little. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. His strength wasn't found in his circumstances going better, but is found in Christ. You know, I, I'm sure we're already all eager to get back to normal. Will we learn to be content in any situation, allowing this trial to purify our, our contentment? How much are we controlled by the alluring comforts of the flesh? How much do we believe that true life is sourced in the comforts of the world or comforts of the word? During this time off, are we consuming just more and more entertainment of the world, which really in a way makes us more and more discontent? Or are we studying God's word? You know, I have a neighbor that is we're studying the Bible with, and I asked him if I could share this. He said yes, but he's battling alcoholism. And he's gone to AA, and he's, he's, he's gone to treatment. But he, he initiated with me, he just said, I need help. I said, I got the help you need. It's the word of God. So let's study the Bible together. And his wife, my wife and I, and another couple have been getting together to really get into the word to, to, to in, in, as he adopted studying the scriptures every day, 
on his own, um, he said, this is what has been missing. This is what has been missing. Not just with not drinking alcohol anymore, but even with the structured uh, treatment of AA, which is awesome and needed and great stuff. But it was what he's found. It's the word of God, the word of God sitting in his Bible. Uh, he's taking his Bible. He bought a Bible. He took his Bible to work, his Bible home. He's he's eating up the scriptures as much as he can. You know, in my quiet time this morning, I read through Psalm 119. It's just so full. If you've lost your thirst for the word of God, study Psalm 119. Be inspired by the psalmist. Um, you know, uh, during your maybe you have some extra time at home. Are you using your extra time to do house projects, to watch more Netflix? Hey, nothing wrong with house projects. Amen. I've done a few myself. But I am being filled up by my study of the, the book of Luke. I've got this commentary and this commentary and this commentary. And I, I know this is part of part of my work and all that. But uh, as I see anyone hunger and thirst for the word of God and invest into their relationship with God, um, their faith uh, increases. Let's move on to the next one. The test of comfort. How you doing? on the test of comfort. Let's continue on here with Luke chapter 4 in verse 5. And, so Satan isn't done with one little test. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know, one thing you'll you'll find how Jesus responds to temptation or these tests is not through thinking it through, not through rationalizing or legalizing or moralizing or justifying. He simply responds with the word of God. Amen? This is how we pass our own tests. You shall worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. Second test is the success test. I wrestled with calling this the idolatry test, but so much of our idols fall into a realm of how we view, how we define, and how we gain success in our lives. So I decided to call it the, the success uh, test. All the kingdoms of all time, Jesus ruling them, how could that not be a good thing? Even good and godly things can become idols if we let them. The lure of Satan here is to leave behind the rejection, leave behind the suffering of the ministry, ultimately of the cross, for quick access to success. Just worship me. Just worship Satan. How tempting that must have been. But Jesus was tested in what his real definition of success was. It wasn't just conquering all the kingdoms. It was being close to God, worshiping God, uh, uh, being one with his Father. You know, the Israelites faced this test. Deuteronomy 13 talks about visions of success, compromising visions of success. And it says that those come, quote, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You know, visions of success, well, success in and of itself is not wrong at all. It's 
Are they God's definition of success and God's path of success? Or is it a compromise to a quick and easy worldly success? That is the test. Jesus says, I will only worship God and serve him only according to his timing, his will, his method. James and John approach, we want to sit at the right and left in your glory. Jesus never corrected their ambition. He corrected the way they were going about it and their motives. He says, you will drink a cup. Can you drink the cup I drink? It's, it's a path of suffering. The Israelites were idolatrous in the wilderness, tested constantly. Um, they were tested with a quick and easy God. They came with this golden calf. Instead of patiently and faithfully waiting on Moses, ultimately waiting on God, patient faithfulness was really not in their vocabulary. They invented a God made of gold. Uh, it was a quick and easy God. It was a God that they crafted their own image, and it provided an instant good time. So often we trade the true God for our idols. There's really two parts to excuse me, two parts to this test how we define success in the path of success. Does the world define success for you? Or does your worship of God define your success? You know, for myself, this is a this was a struggle. This is a struggle to varying degrees. Um, I define success through dollars, attention from girls, respect, positions of influence. These were what I worshipped. Therefore, these were what I served. Notice the connection between worship in service, you will serve whatever it is that you worship. Um, the path of success is the path, the way of the world or the way of God. Satan's lure to Jesus was to gain this influence, authority, and victory through a way of compromise and by skipping the way of the cross. But Jesus said, no, I will worship God and I will go the way of the cross. Every one of us every day can choose our path. Is it a path of shortcut? and compromise or is it a path of humble obedient worship and service of god jesus conquered the pride of the flesh through humble service even to his death the pathway to spiritual status which god grants is always through humble service let this trial purify your definition and pathway to success and last, the last temptation, Luke chapter 4, verse 9. And, once again, Satan's not done. And he led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Mm, here we see Satan quoting scripture. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan quoting Psalm 91. Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished temptation, every temptation, he left him until an opportune, excuse me, opportune time. Talk about that in a minute. I call this the anxiety test. Jesus being the Son of God. A bold claim, Satan says. Are you really sure, Jesus? Are you really sure? Maybe you were mistaken. Maybe this came up out of your own head. How do you really know? 
Let's test this. Satan quotes Psalm 91. The purpose of Psalm 199 was to reassure of God's protection, but not a sensational display of power sourced in anxiety. It's one of Satan's most sick ploys, slick ploys, is to twist God's own word and turn it, excuse me, uh, and turn God's people away from God's truth and God's scripture and God's will. You know, uh, instead of passing the test of completely trusting God, we turn our anxiety into a test of God. She says, I'm not going to put God to the test. I trust God already. He doesn't. He has nothing to prove to me. You know, our view of suffering as wrong or evil in the following question, how could God allow this? What in essence we're doing is we're testing God. We're testing the character of God. If he's real, he will come and rescue us from this suffering. You know, Joel B. Green, one of the authors of my uh, commentaries here, says this, Divine rescue may come through suffering and death, and not only before and from them. In other words, his point is, we don't test God and see if he'll rescue us from the suffering. Because sometimes God intentionally allows the suffering in order to get us to come to him. Despite all that God did for Israel, Israel's anxiety led to a constant, a constant questioning, doubting, grumbling, complaining. I said that for five minutes early, by the way, so still got a few minutes left. Um, and this generation died in the desert apart from the promised land because they never learned how to rely on God. Jesus, though, trusted, believed, embraced his cup and refused to test God and was resurrected into life eternal. Joshua and Caleb was one of the few, the only, the only two that made it into the promised land. Why? Because even though they saw and were anxious, they relied on God and trusted and believed that God could do it, made in the promised land. You know, for myself, anxiety is one of my biggest struggles. I fear messing up. I fear letting my family down. I fear letting my church down. I fear letting the staff down. I fear letting my friends down. Ultimately, I fear letting God down. Over the years, I've I've grown immensely because I've been tested so much. I've had to face this anxiety day after day, week after week, to simply survive in the role that I'm in. I've come a long way, but I've so far to go. But I've learned that the only answer for my anxiety is not for everything to turn out perfect. It's not for the conflict to go away. It's not for the world to throw themselves, say, look, there's water, why shouldn't I? be baptized. It's not for uh, the kids to behave perfectly. The only answer is with scripture. My favorite one is this, Isaiah 41 verse 10. It says, do not fear for I am with you. I am with you, Joel. I've had to internalize. Do not be dismayed. Another version says, do not look about with great anxiety for I am your God. I will strengthen you and will help you. 
I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10 has been my response to Satan's test of anxiety in my life. God is God. He has all authority. He's only accountable to his own character. As humans, we don't have the right to test God. We are humans. We're the clay. We're the pot. We don't have the right to say to the potter, what are you doing? He's the potter. He knows what he's doing. He does not need to answer to any human. We go, we'll do so much better. We'll do so much better if we stop trying to test God with our anxieties and learn to trust God and rely on him in our anxiety. That God is God and he's got it. And he will do what is right and good and loving, not just for me, but for the world and for his kingdom. Humans do not have the right to test God. God does have the right to test humans. He does, and if we frame it scripturally, we will pass the test. I'm going to tell one little story, and then we'll conclude. We have been blessed with a new four-year-old in our home. I can't really say the details for legality's sake. Those of you who know, know us know what I'm talking about. But we have been uh, teaching her to obey. Not something that she has uh, been used to uh, or taught or trained in. And um, she's her favorite story in her little children's Bible is the story of Jonah. And it talks about what Jonah happened to him when he did not obey God. And so we talk about that. We've trained it. We've done family devotionals on obeying. So the other day she was down here and uh, um, I was having my quiet time. She was down here and uh, I said, okay, it's time for you to go back upstairs. She said, I don't want to. And I said, well, you need to obey Uncle Joel. I don't want to. And as I was studying all this testing, I pulled a new one. I said, right now, I'm testing your obedience. She looked at me. Something connected in her. Maybe it was Jonah. And she ran up the stairs. You know what? It's really important how we frame the trials. We've got us testing our obedience. How will we respond? Jesus passed the test. We can pass our tests. God is testing us. He will continue to test us. After these tests were over, so the devil left Jesus until an opportune time. Jesus was tested all throughout his ministry, ultimately tested at the cross. Praise God, he passed the test. Amen? Praise God, he passed the test. In a minute, we're going to uh, take communion. And we're going to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Praise God he passed the test. And he did it because he loved you and I. He was buried, but God resurrected him from the dead. And he lives today. We celebrate communion until he returns. So as we take communion, let's examine. Are we choosing to be like the Israelites, grumbling, complaining, compromising, continually testing God? Let's make another choice. Amen? Let's choose to frame our trials according to the scripture, not according to the world. And 
as we face our comfort tests, our idolatry tests, our anxiety tests, and numerous other tests, let's together allow these fiery ordeals to refine our faith, to surface our impurities, to train our characters, to reveal our idols, to humble our pride, teach us to rely on God and not ourselves, thus finding a deeper than ever strength in joy in Christ. And in the end, our faith, refined by our fiery ordeals, will result in that pure gold of praise, glory, and honor to the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who passed the test all his days on earth and gives us everything we need to pass these tests today, Jesus Christ our Lord. God bless you. I love you. Amen.